This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hi there, and welcome to Episode 8 of Small Talk. I am your host, Michelle Smallman. Thanks so much for joining me today. And apologies uh, that we didn't have a pod last week. The week prior, we had two, and then we had Tommy Freeze Pops take uh, a week of vacation. So it's just a lot of moving pieces that it didn't connect and it didn't land last week, but... Don't worry, we are back on track this week. Hopefully no more vacation for your boy TC Fresh, and we can continue to turn this out weekly. So, again, thank you to all the people who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed this on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world to me. So, since we did have a week off, there's a lot of stuff that I want to get into with Tommy Freeze Pops. We're going to do three random things with him, and then later in the pod, we're going to be joined by Taylor Twelman. ESPN soccer analyst, former professional soccer player. You see him everywhere on your TV screens these days talking about the World Cup. So we're going to talk to him about the U.S. not making the World Cup. We're actually going to do a little local conversation about St. Louis losing out on the MLS. And then the most important part of the interview, I want to talk to him about style. Fashion has become so important in soccer these days. And you see all these players with really distinct looks. And so we're going to have him rate players based on their looks. And I'm not talking about how handsome they are. I'm talking about their specific curated style. So that's going to be fun. And I can't wait to talk to Taylor. But coming up next, we are going to be joined by Tommy Freeze Pops again. And we'll do three random things. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. Welcome back. It's been a minute since I actually chatted with Tommy Freeze Pops. He took a week of vacation, so that's part of the reason we didn't have a pod last week because we didn't want to do it without him as our ghost producer, our shadow producer. But he is back and better than ever, as Mike and Mike used to say. Uh, so, Tom, welcome. Uh, it's great to chat with you again. And also, how dare you? I'm sorry for being a human being with a social life. <laughs> oh, well. I needed some rest and relaxation. I have a very stressful job. Did you get that R&R? Where did you go? How was your vacation? I had a great time. I was up in the uh, great north of Vermont. I know the great north is technically Canada, right? But for New England, it's Vermont because there's like no cell service. And you're just in the middle of nowhere. We're about, I think, 45 minutes outside of Burlington. So really just like in the middle of nowhere. And uh, had a great time. Had had a lot of friends up there to uh, celebrate my 26th birthday oh you're so young i feel like yeah i want to adam sandler you and billy madison where he grabs the kid's face and he shakes it and he says cherish it (laughs) cherish your youth tom well i definitely cherished it this weekend it was a great time but i'm back tom since we took a week off there's a ton of things i want to get into with you so let's just do three random things right out of the gate okay all right so a couple weeks ago, I went to New York City. When I lived in Connecticut, I spent almost every weekend in the city with my friends. And since I moved back to St. Louis, it had been about six months since I had gone back and seen my friends. So I was super pumped to go back and visit everyone. Um, but like you, had a fun-filled weekend. And when I was at the airport, uh, was just kind of, you know, I didn't want to do music. I didn't want to watch anything on my iPad. You know, reading kind of made my head hurt. So I was just kind of observing people in the crowd, which mm. I think so many people are head down in their phone that they don't really observe their surroundings anymore, right? So one yeah, thing... Yeah, I love people watching. It's, it's actually an awesome thing to do. So I at, love it. At one point, I'm sitting there at the gate, and something kind of struck me, because I saw three different guys kind of struggling with this 
issue. So I, I see these guys, right? And they're taking all of these things out of their pockets and putting them on the chair and like trying to rearrange and put, stick them back in their pockets. You've got your boarding pass, your cell phone, your wallet, like a, a granola bar snack, like all of these things that these guys are trying to wedge into their pockets because for some reason they didn't have a backpack or a travel bag with them. And which a struck me as really weird because what guy doesn't bring a bag on a plane with them. But anyway, I got to thinking with the way in, in 2018, so many gender norms have been bent, broken, whatever you want to call it, where women do things that were typically assigned to men, etc. You would think that men years ago would have been like, you know what, forget this. Purses are cool. We are going to get a purse so that I can carry this around every day and throw all my crap in it. Because let's be honest, having a purse is great. And I know guys have backpacks, they have messenger bags, but those are more situational things. Like a guy will bring a messenger bag to work or a backpack on a plane. Guys don't really like go to the grocery store and grab their messenger bag. You know what I mean? Yeah, so this is this is a tough one for me because I tried to make a switch from backpack to satchel slash laptop bag. Do you remember when I tried to make that switch like last spring? And you guys kind of gave me some crap for it. Well, you're not so really a satchel feel- guy, Tom. <laughs> I honestly tried to give it a shot, and I didn't really get the love around the office that I thought I might, or support, I guess is the right word there. So, um, you know, I tried it out, but I, I just it just didn't work for me. So... I'm not, and I guess it's a little different because it was, it wasn't really a purse per se, but it's kind of in the purse family. Um, and I kind of just, it didn't work for me. Um, but I will say that's a great observation by you because that is always a problem I have at airports. Uh, you know, the stuffed pockets because, you know, and back in the day when you couldn't have phone, uh, music on your phone, you'd have the iPod in there with the phone and the wallet and the boarding pass, and snacks. Yeah. You know, you get the headphones for the iPod, so everything kind of gets crumpled up. Sometimes I'd have, like, keys on me, too, for some reason, because I'd be too dumb to, like, stow away my keys. Oh, yeah. Why do I need my car keys on a vacation? So it's, like, all these things just in your pockets. So what I do, and I'm a big proponent of this, and I think we've talked about it before, I love cargo shorts. I am a man of the cargo short family, uh, and it really alleviates a lot of that issue. So if you're going on an airplane, just wear cargo shorts. Who cares? Who cares what people say? A couple responses there. One, gross. Two, <laughs> okay. So women obviously have purses. We walk around unrestricted. There's nothing in our pockets. We're fun and fancy free. When I am out at a bar per se, and I will put my phone in my back pocket sometimes, you know, like, oh, you go to take a picture, you just like put it back there. It feels Mm. so restrictive. You can feel it weighing you down, especially now you've got the iPhone plus this thing is like a mini iPad. You throw it back there. It's so uncomfortable. So even if you have cargo shorts, regardless of how disgusting they look, I mean, are you also wearing (laughs) flip flops on the plane? Because also gross. But no, never flip flops on a plane because exposed feet on a long flight. I'm not about that. You got to wear socks. Thank you for your respect there. Um, But (laughs) it just seems like whatever you put in those pockets would be weighing you down. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot of stuff, and I, I get where you're coming from with the purse stuff, but that just alleviates the the bulkiness of the one spot. You know, you're able to 
disperse all the stuff throughout the shorts. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm a big proponent of the cargo shorts. And like I said, I tried to kind of make the switch from the backpack to the satchel slash laptop bag game. And I, I don't know. I didn't get the love and support that I, that I felt I needed to make that type of transition. You know, that's a big step for a, uh, a male to make in, uh, you know, in, in that type of environment. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I just didn't get the, the love I, I thought I needed to, to make it happen. So I, I'm a backpack guy. Well, the best thing um, you can wear, Tom, is confidence, and maybe you just didn't sell it. I didn't have the confidence uh, to, to to make it work. You're right. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a big change. It's a big change. It is. Well, maybe maybe revisit that now that you're out of Connecticut. Maybe Massachusetts will be a little <laughs> bit more forgiving in the satchel area. I don't know. But report back. Interesting. Report yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Mass is a better spot for me on that. What do you think about LeBron's purse that he was rocking during the finals? I'm, like aggressively pick it up when you'd be leaving the podium, like to make sure everyone saw it. I mean, LeBron probably has so many things he needs to carry around: Gatorade, aspirin, cell phone. I mean, all of these things <laughs> that he needs to throw in this bag at any time. And LeBron's look is ever changing. You know what I mean? So he probably needs to just maybe one day he wants to throw on some bracelets or whatever. I just I can't <laughs> imagine that guys haven't been like, hey, this is going to be cool and normal for us to have something to carry all of our stuff in. Well, the suit with the shorts. And the purse with a hat and like some crazy glasses. Yeah, the- it was honestly like looking like it was like a Teddy Roosevelt costume or something. Like, I, it looked like a Halloween costume to me. Every time I saw him, I couldn't help but laugh. He looked ridiculous. Yeah, the shorts suit combo is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I'm with you. So ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. So ridiculous. Bermuda shorts. Anyway, let's move on to random thing number two. So um, I read an amazing book recently that I want to give some love to. It's called The Immortalist. I started it on my plane ride to New York. And by the time I got off the plane again in St. Louis, I had finished it. I, I flew through it. It was so entertaining. So to give you a little bit of background uh, without spoiling anything, because this is like at the very beginning of the book, um, the story chronicles four kids that grow up in New York. And actually, this has a tie-in to the pod, and I wish Rudy was here. Maybe we can revisit this with him the next time that he comes on. But it's four kids, and they're in New York, and one of the kids is in a bodega, and here's these two boys in front of him talking about this gypsy that they visited who can tell you the day of your death. And so the kid runs to his siblings and is like, we need to gather up some money and go visit this gypsy to find out the day that we're going to die. So they do. They scrounge up all this money. They go visit her. And one by one, they go in and she tells them their fate. Not how they'll die, just the day that they'll die. And so the rest of the book is broken out into their four individual stories and about what happens. And so I've been asking all of my friends this. I've been telling them to read the book, but asking them. If given that information, would you want to know? Would you want to know the day that you're going to die? Because there's two schools of thought here, right? One is no, I would absolutely not want to know. What if it's tomorrow, you know, or what if then I live my entire life in this kind of countdown purgatory where I'm like, oh, five days, three months, you know what I mean? Like just constantly (laughs) counting down. Or the second school of thought is, I think it might make me realize how little time we all do have on this earth and give me and my life a sense of urgency to where I'd be like, hey, I always wanted to live on the beach. Why am I wasting my time in Missouri when I could be living in California? Obviously, that's a hypothetical, but you know what I mean? So I'm just curious Mm -hmm. if you would want to know or not. So first of all, 
you are obsessed with gypsies. That's a different story for another day. I will say, um, uh, I was gifted this. Bu- I was gifted this book. I didn't seek it out because of the of the gypsy thread. But yes, it seems to be something that's reoccurring often in my life. I will give you that. <laughs> You're obsessed. Uh, but to your point, I would a thousand percent want to know when I was going to die, and I actually have a much lesser version of this that has already happened to me in my life, and I will elaborate. Please so, do. My freshman year of college, I was attending Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts. I went there to play Division Two football. Uh, I probably shouldn't have been given this opportunity, given my talent level, but based on my size, I was given the opportunity. Great. Congrats, young Tom. <laughs> I get there. I get hurt during spring uh, practice. Not spring. Uh, you know, the late summer practices before the semester starts. Uh, I'm in the training room, and I look up to the ceiling, and I pretend it's the stars, and I say, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to play Division II football. They own you like you're a Division I athlete. I'm definitely not playing in the NFL. I'm about three to four inches too short to ever make it as a guard in the NFL. So what am I doing here? I doesn't even have my major. I want to get into sports media. So screw this. I'm transferring. I decided before the semester even started. I hit up Emerson College, who I had been waitlisted by, and was like, hey, guys, this is what happened. I just had this realization. So if you guys want me, keep me on this wait list, and I'm, I'm coming for you guys. Like two weeks in to the semester, they hit me up, and they were like, yeah, we're going to accept you. So I had this period of time for about four months where I was in just complete FU mode at Assumption because I knew the end date, and I was like, you know what? I'm a freshman, but I can literally do whatever I want on this campus right now, and I need to get it all in right now. So I just went balls to the wall. I, I was acting like I was a senior as a first semester freshman because I just didn't care. Like, it was, it was awesome. So, and I don't want to get into the, the full details of that, but maybe that's a different podcast for another day. But the FU semester I had at Assumption was fantastic. And if I could apply that uh, scenario to knowing when I would die, I think I would be able to have a lot of fun because I know the end date and I want to get in as much stuff as possible. End of rant. No, that's really interesting. And, and I think that a lot of people feel the same way as you, because even if they said, Hey, you're going to live till you're 89. Right. When you sit there in this context, you're like, okay, I'm almost 30. Okay. 60 year. But you're like, that doesn't seem like that long of a time. You know, when you really like, yes, it's an, it's a long time, but I mean, if, I don't know. I, I'm the total opposite of you. I'm very type A. I'm very black and white. If someone said to me, hey, you're going to die at 41, I would immediately panic and be like, okay, well, I, I only have this much time. I need to do this many days. And then as we grew closer to that date, I would just be a ball of anxiety and freak out and just like lay on the ground and be like, okay, it's coming for me. What do I do? You know what I mean? Um, so if I had that mentality that you have, I think I'd want to know. So I, I don't know, Michelle. I feel like you would be down because you're kind of adventurous. Oh, I'm you know? super like, adventurous, but like I feel like you would make a you would make the most of it. I I don't know. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit here. I mean, I would definitely be nervous for sure when when the date was eventually coming. But I just make sure that I could, I just went complete completely balls to the wall and just 
went super hard. Although it would really suck if it was like, hey, you're going to die tomorrow. Like, yes. Right, cool. You like, totally, that would suck. You totally just hit on, I think, the X factor here is it it all depends on what your fortune was, right? Or what your your death date was. Like, yep. I mean, if that's, if you find out, like, even, even if you say, okay, 30 years, that's, you know a short amount of time, but also enough to do everything that you really want to do, but still live, Mm -hmm. you know, a fairly normal life. If they go 10 years and under, you're like, all right, well, how do I get enough money (laughs) to just like travel the world and party for the next 10 years and not have to work or do anything serious? (laughs) Hey, how did you like my humble brag about getting a division two football opportunity? Um, I thought it was great. And I also think it's a great opportunity for me to then say that you went to Emerson to play volleyball. Division three, baby. Division three volleyball, way less of a commitment than Division two volleyball, and I uh, Division two football, and I knew that after only ten days of playing Division two football. One of my favorite days at ESPN was the day that we not only discovered that Tom played volleyball in college, but we got a video of it. It's like a feature package at the Emerson TV station or whatever for Tom's senior night, and we played it on Rosillo and Canell. And Tom, please tweet it out. What's your Twitter handle for everyone listening? Uh, at your boy TC Fresh. I could say it, but it's just better if you do it. Um, but we played this video of Tom's highlights, I guess, of his volleyball career. And the best part about it is his dad is interviewed and basically rips Tom. He's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it still no, makes I, me laugh. I remember what he said. I remember what he yeah, said. Yeah, tell uh, everyone what, they, what he said. He, he, I don't remember the full thing, but the best quote of it was, you know, Tom's never going to be a record-setting volleyball player. <laughs> totally. He's just kind of he like... He was right. He was, listen, he was right. I was a glue guy. You know, as a locker room guy, I was the captain, you know? Yes. I was a rallying cry guy. That's so um, funny. You know, didn't get a ton of minutes, but, you know, that was an important part of the team. I, I, I stand by that. And you know, not that people really need a reason to check it out, but if you do, just know that there's a, a huge sign on a wall that spells out Tom, and the O is just Tom's face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that package is priceless. It thank, really thank is. you to Lucas Frankel for making that package, who actually eventually ended up at ESPN on the website and now is a sports reporter in New York, and I hope he used it in his reel. Oh, my gosh. Small world. Well, shouts to Lucas. Small world all right well let's move on to random thing number three um one of the things that is like a highly anticipated drop every year from espn is their body issue for those that have never seen the body issue what are you doing uh go ahead and check it out but it's where various athletes pose in the nude and you you check out their bods their vehicle that takes them through life and through athletics but i was (laughs) looking through the body issue and it's got a whole you know wide cast of people this year everywhere from saquon barkley who my god i pity any defenses that that go up against him to um jerry rice is in there in his 50s looking great you have zlatan ibrahimovic who's in there who is tatted from head to toe including his butt i mean the guy is really dedicated to this look um but you know greg norman is in there with the hat he looks awesome but i started thinking i was like 
This is a great conversation for Tom because it, this is obviously like a highly coveted spot. It's a highly coveted issue. So if ESPN asked you to do the body issue, I can't imagine that a lot of people would turn it down. So if if in any way, in any world, they said, we are going to do D3 volleyball players. We are going <laughs> to have a D3 volleyball player featured in the body issue, Tom, and we have chosen you. Would you pose for the body issue? Uh, the answer is yes, but for more reasons than one, ESPN is never calling me to be in the body issue. But, uh, uh, yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, one of my life, I don't know, spirit guides, uh, mentor, but I've never actually spoken to him, uh, is Vince Wilfork. And when I saw him in the body issue, what was it, two years ago? Yes. It was eye-opening. It was like, you know what? I am beautiful. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to miss out on that opportunity to have a photo shoot. First, I've never been a part of a photo shoot. I mean, I got, like, my picture taken for, like, the team photos and stuff throughout life for sports. But, like, an all-out photo shoot in the nude, and I'd be doing, like, crazy stuff to, like, cover up the private areas. It'd be hilarious. I'm all in for that. I think it would be so funny. Um, as far as butt cats go... Not sure I see the point of them, but I don't know where you stand on butt tats. I don't think you are supposed to see the point of them. I think Zlatan, (laughs) you know, like that's his body. That's his look. He's really dedicated to body art. And, uh, you know, I kind of give him props for his commitment. Yeah. I mean, you're getting a tattoo on your butt and it's not because of like a bet or because you were hammered. I was like, just going to say, buddy, you know how many drunk I girls buddy, on spring break have butt tats? At least Laton did yeah. it with a purpose. Yeah, I had a buddy who was in Spain on a trip, like, during college. It might have been right after high school. And he got really, really drunk and woke up the next morning and his butt was killing him. And he looked in the mirror and he had the Spanish flag tattooed on his left butt cheek. Ooh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I had a girlfriend. We were on a on a trip, girls' trip. Um, spring break type situation, and she woke up with a blue daisy on her butt. <laughs> yeah, butt tats seem to be a popular drunk decision. I will say that when I was, uh, you know, in college with my friends, I told all of them that when the Celtics win their next championship, I would get that banner tattooed on my butt. But oh. I'm hoping that none of them listen to this and aren't reminded of that, but I think it's a funny thing to share with the audience. Um, maybe someone will hold me accountable. Uh, maybe the Celtics will never win. I, I kind of hope they win. I just don't necessarily want to get the tattoo. It's kind of like a half-baked idea. Um, well, I but hope... now I'm sure you'll hold me accountable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now you're done. Um, <laughs> I well... probably shouldn't have mentioned this. Can you cut this out? No, I will not. And I hope that not only are all your friends listening, but they're subscribing, rating, and reviewing to the pod, which you can yeah. do on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Please do. Subscribe, rate, and review. And you know what, Tom? This is the last thing I'll say before we move on, but Jason Tatum is getting you closer and closer to that butt tap, my friend. Oh, my God. Did you see the video? Oh, I saw it. Of him draining 18 oh in a row. Oh, my God. And that was... I needed a moment when I saw that. Well, thanks, Tom. That's three random things. We'll talk to you next week. And coming up next, Taylor Twelman. You know him. He was a former international soccer player, professional soccer player, and he's now an ESPN soccer analyst. You see him on your TVs all the time for World Cup coverage, and we are going to talk to him next. 
Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. Well, I'm so excited to welcome in this week's guest to Small Talk for several reasons, and mostly because I'm excited to carve out a few minutes to chat with him. You see him all hours of day and night on TV, breaking down all of the World Cup action. And I'm talking about Taylor Twellman, former professional soccer player, ESPN soccer analyst. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me. A highlight of my career, finally being your guest. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I'm put it on your resume, okay? Put it in your Twitter <laughs> bio. Um, but the World Cup, Taylor, I, I'm so into this, and I'm so glad that I get to talk to you about it because, you know, we here in St. Louis locally haven't really talked a lot about the World Cup, so I, I really want to dig into this. But it's been such a global party, and it's been so fun to watch, and it's such a bummer that the U.S. isn't in there. How embarrassing is it for you to have to cover this knowing that the U.S. didn't even make the Cut. Oh, it's uh, it's just difficult. It's it's a still a difficult pill to swallow. Even though we're you know what are we almost seven eight months from that debacle in Trinidad, Michelle. It's it's tough to put into words because as you all know, the World Cup isn't every year. It's every four years, and a big part of that is that process of three and a half years of trying to get to that moment. And there were signs along the way that the United States, for whatever reason, in this cycle. Uh, couldn't get out of their own way. But you felt like a lot how Germany just played themselves out of the World Cup. They would somehow find a way to get into the World Cup, and the United States just couldn't find a way. Easily uh, a better team, uh, better players than Trinidad, and yet you're reminded that that's why we love sports. It's just unfortunate when you're on the other end. But think about it. Like, Panama lost to England so badly in this World Cup, and yet all I'm sitting there thinking about is, well, that would have been the United States, right? So as bad as Panama played and whatnot, the United States still beat Panama 4-0. It's just the fact that they couldn't get a point in Trinidad that leaves you and I having this discussion. I just hope you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, we look at this as being that pivotal moment where changes are made. But, Michelle, I'm not sure that's going to happen. So I remember after that game versus Trinidad when the U.S. didn't qualify, you went on this epic rant. I remember I was in Bristol and everyone was like, we've got to get Taylor Twellman in studio. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you didn't sleep for days because you were in such high demand. But, you know, you were talking about it. I I just remember you screaming, like, what are we doing here? You know, you said they weren't prepared. It's embarrassing. This failure needs to wake up U.S. soccer. They need to look in the mirror and develop a plan. So in your opinion, behind the scenes, have you heard or seen some kind of steps being taken that's going to put this program back on track? Uh, that's it. I mean, we do have a new president, so uh, we'll have a new coach. We have a new president. So right away you say, okay, those are some changes. But I think it, it needs to be systematic, you know, uh, systemic, so to speak. When you look at, God, Michelle, it's like pay to play. Why is soccer so expensive in our country? Um, and it's not around the world. Why is becoming a coach in this country that is educated at the highest level with their licensing, why is that more expensive than any other country around the world? There's little things like that that snowball and become a huge factor into development. But when you look at it in general, Michelle, this is the way I try to describe it to the non-sports, uh, non-soccer fan, but it is a sports fan. Everyone under the age of 10 participates at some level in soccer. Yet when that same person is now 21, 22, 23, 32, 33, they're not fans. 
Like, why does that dwindle down? It should go the other way. Think about it. Participation rate for the sport, because of boys and girls, it's so much higher than any other sport we play in this country, and yet when they hit the college years, it, it just dies down. At some point, the United States, has to, the Federation has to figure that out. Why, why is that pool of fans, people in the culture of the sport, why is it so small until they have kids, and then the kids, and then that cycle starts over? That's a real good description of where soccer is in this country because everyone pays attention all four years but every other country around the world pays attention every single day to that process yet united states is still stuck in that olympic mode where they're like oh no it comes every four years no it doesn't it's there every single day yeah that's so interesting the ebbs and flow of fandom because you know for instance now i have so many friends who love soccer they get up early on weekends they watch epl they're so into it and you know it it kind of seems to me that the popularity of soccer in general, just the sport, is kind of exponentially growing here in America. And I know it's no Europe. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's, I know it's Europe, EPL. We're talking about elite competition here, established teams, established brands. But, yeah, that's the question, I guess. Like, how do we capture that fandom and that passion and the growth there but have it be, you know, genuinely American? Yep, because for the conversation in the country in the last 40 years, soccer's always been the sport on the brink, and yet it's never made that next step. I would say now is the best opportunity because of what you just said. You or I can watch any single game in the world right now via the Internet, television, however way we get that. That was never the case five years ago. And so the exposure to the sport, the highest level, and then having a league within your own country like Major League Soccer that's growing – then, Michelle, this becomes a different discussion, I think. But so much of that is going to ride on the United States men's national team, not necessarily the women's, and that's not a sexist comment. When the men's national team gets to a semifinal, then ultimately I think you're going to have so many other people, quote-unquote, buy in, if that makes any sense, to the process and not just the result that comes every four years. So when you talk about U.S. soccer in these terms, and especially after that that big rant that went viral, did you get any blowback from U.S. soccer at all? Because a lot of people don't like to hear criticisms of themselves. No, I don't think. No, I didn't. Uh, the answer, first off, the answer is no. Um, you know, I, I have, I'm an open book. You know me yes. a little bit from our time here at ESPN. That you can come to me. You can call me. You can tell me I'm full of it. You can tell me I'm completely <laughs> off base. I, I don't have, we all have egos, so I'm not going to sit there and say I don't have an ego, but I'm, I don't, I don't always think I'm right. The only thing I do 100% very well is I give you my opinion and what I think. And so at that moment, you know, Michelle, I could have gone into X's and O's and why did Trinidad pull through and all that stuff. That's not what anyone wanted to hear. And that's not what I felt. So I didn't get any pushback. Um, I do have more in-depth conversations that are, quote-unquote, people defending themselves because of that right now. And I still raise questions of whether or not we know, as I went on that rant, asking what are we doing, I'm not sure we know what we're doing yet. Well, I hope we figure it out sooner rather than later. Amen, sister. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, let's. I want to talk about the World Cup with you. I mean, Germany, the defending champion, eliminated from the World Cup. They lose to South Korea. What's your initial reaction to that? Shocking. Um, it's, you know, you want to talk about our moments with the United States not going to the World Cup. Germany just had theirs. Uh, arguably top three most talented teams at the World Cup, and yet I've never seen a team look more anemic, more slow, uh, static, so unsure of themselves. 
for Sweden to win that group and in Germany to finish dead last. Nobody had that predicted. It, shocking. I also want to talk to you about Argentina. They could have been the topic of this same conversation, but they advanced to the round of 16. They had that 2-1 victory over Nigeria. But, you know, the conversation around Argentina is obviously always surrounding Messi. You know, how much do you really think is at stake for him as far as, like, his, his overall legacy is concerned with this World Cup? I think the microcosm of what Messi has had to deal with over the last, I'd say, five to eight years was done in the final game against Nigeria. Here he scores a phenomenal goal. Argentina wins 2-1. And yet the only thing people want to talk about is Diego Maradona flipping with two (laughs) birds at the end of the game, dancing, and then ultimately going to the hospital and needing paramedics. Right. Like, Michelle, the reality is for Messi, until he wins, he'll always be 1-B. And that's just the way Argentina is, and that's the way he's viewed. Diego Maradona, to, to have the spotlight all about him in that moment... That shows you what Messi's up against. So as much as I, for me, in my personal view, it doesn't change anything for Messi, whether or not he wins it or not, because obviously every four years that changes in the team, and he's on not a complete team right now as he was in 14. Michelle, that's just what it is. That's the nature of the beast. LeBron James goes to how many NBA finals? Yes, he's lost X number of finals, but the only thing people want to talk about is, well, you know, he, Michael Jordan never lost. So it's just that conversation. The reality is for Messi, until he wins, he's going to be 1B, as, as unfortunate and ridiculous that sounds. Yeah, you know, comparing it to the LeBron conversation, when Charles Barkley was talking about this a couple of weeks ago during the NBA Finals, he was basically saying, like, and I know it's totally different because LeBron has won, and, you know, we talk about Messi with the hardware, but, you know, Charles Barkley basically was like, at this point, based on his body of work as a player, his legacy is already set. You know, he he doesn't need to be a mercenary, talking about LeBron, going to all these different teams to try and just ring chase. Whereas, you know, I look at, at Messi, and I, and I wonder if once we get some separation from his playing time, if we do look at the totality of his career and, and if without the hardware, if he can be ever considered the GOAT. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean... I don't know, Michelle. That's a very difficult one because I think soccer is a little different in the sense that one player, single player, can change an entire basketball game because there's only five players on your team. So you can literally, as we saw with LeBron in 2018, do that with the Cavs. You can't really in soccer. Right. And as much as Diego Maradona and Pelé did it, they still were on some unbelievable teams. So I... I, I don't know. I think that discussion's a difficult one to to really get in depth because then so is Brady worse than Joe Montana because he's lost in the Super Bowl yet he's been how many times with weaker teams? Does that make any sense? I don't I don't it's not a cop out, but I just don't know if you can I don't know. I think that's a difficult one. Yeah, I I always love to have the barroom conversations, you know, like what you would say at the bar with your buddies when comparing things. Yeah, for me, well, for me, this is what I said today on ESPN, one of the shows, I still think Michael Jordan's the only athlete that's bigger than any other franchise in American sports. Really? And why is that? Jumpman. I mean, his brand is now on baseball shoes, football shoes, it's on colleges wear his brand. He's bigger than the Lakers and the Celtics. Michael Jordan is the big, his brand is, the longevity of his brand is longer than, a, when you bring up in the NBA... Michael Jordan, is it bigger than the Lakers and Celtics? And if you ask anyone, the answer is yes. 
because and, of that brand. LeBron, Kobe, Shaq, Kareem, Wilt, Magic, they're not. That's a great point. Like the brand, so, and as great as Diego Maradona and Messi and Ronaldo, they're not bigger than Brazil, the national team, Argentina, the national team, Portugal, national team. They're just not. Because the fact that we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, and it's an afterthought almost of the Pelé and the Johan Cruyff and the Messis, it just, the one athlete that supersedes a lot. Now, the one other athlete that you could have a real argument for is Tiger Woods. But still, when you think about it, Jordan's the only athlete that supersedes any franchise or league. Yeah, I mean, Tiger was just such a game changer. and But he, like Jordan, had such sustained success that the brand is, I mean, but that's the thing with LeBron, though. Like, I said this on our show the other day. We were talking about the Lakers and LeBron going there. And par- part of the argument for people, you know, suggesting he go there is like, oh, you know, he could be in this big market. Except I go, he made Cleveland a destination market. Like, ESPN is sending all of these people there to Cleveland to cover LeBron. Like, when he went to Miami, look at how that changed the face of the network. Like, look at all of the Miami reporters and Miami talent that came to ESPN because LeBron was stationed there. So, you know what I mean? I think he's transcendent in, in a different way as well. Agreed. I just think, yeah, the big market in 2018, unless you're in L.A., New York, every other market because of social media and whatnot, I, I just don't think that's a factor as the way it was in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I just don't. But I do think L.A. and New York matter. But you're 100% right. The fact that Cleveland's even on the map, that just goes to show you that LeBron is transcendent. And, and small markets don't have as big of a as big of a – I mean, look at Oklahoma City. You think about it. Russell Westbrook has literally put them on the map. I just, you're right, Michelle. In so many ways, that that large market versus small market, I don't think it's as big of a conversation in 2018 as it was 10 years ago. I'm with you. Okay, so I want to get to two other headlines from the World Cup over the past couple of weeks that caught my attention. So, which of these do you think was warranted more? The criticism. Which of, the, of these do you think is warranted more? People ripping Neymar for crying. Or people ripping Landon Donovan for rooting for Mexico in that tweet? Uh, for me, easily, Landon Donovan in Mexico. Can you put that into context for a lot of the listeners who, who may not understand just how shocking it was to see him publicly say he's going to root for Mexico, even though it was sponsored? So are majority of our listeners St. Louis people or just in general? Uh Probably St. Louis, but in general, you could go either okay, way. So let's do, let's do. I'll do an in general thing. Could you imagine the New York Yankees out of the playoffs rooting for the Boston Red Sox in the World Series? Never. Unequivocally, no. Never. Could you imagine the St. Louis Cardinals over the last three years rooting for the Chicago Cubs? Never. That, it would never happen. It would never happen. It's a rivalry. It's healthy. It's actually very important to have. It doesn't mean. I, I will never root for Mexico, ever. That doesn't mean I hate Mexican-Americans. It doesn't mean I hate their food. It doesn't mean I hate their language. It doesn't mean anything. All I'm saying is that rivalry on the field for me is strong and still is. Landon Donovan's arguably the most important player in U.S. soccer history. And for him to take a paycheck for that loyalty and then double down and be very indignant saying that it, it, Carlos Bocanegra, a teammate of ours who's Mexican-American, isn't Mexican enough, that's where you lose me. And to say Neymar's crying and whatnot, no one knows how much pressure Neymar's under. 
Nobody. So anyone that says Neymar crying doesn't understand our Argentina players crying after getting out of the group stage. No one knows anything about pressure, including you think LeBron James has pressure? Good luck if you're wearing number 10 for Brazil or Argentina. Good luck. So for me, it's not even a comparison. Landon Donovan deserved the criticism. And first off, he's completely entitled to his opinion and any decision he makes. But then don't also say that he doesn't, you know, it's unfair to take the criticism. He deserves it. Right. I, and I always never understand. Or warranted the better word. Yeah. I never understood the, the conversation about crying being a sign of weakness. To me, that just shows how emotionally invested you are into this. And I would want my players to feel that drained after a game. Yeah, and plus, Michelle, I don't. I mean, I don't know the answer, but how much pressure is Neymar under? I mean, oh, Brazil lost seven-one in the semifinals at home to Germany last World Cup. He is in the conversation for the greatest player in the world right now. There's there's more pressure on him than any American athlete has ever felt times ten. Yeah, it's hard to put that into context. I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. Um, okay, so last World Cup question, but now that you've seen these teams in action, who are you putting your money on moving forward? Uh, I've still, I, before the World Cup started, I said Spain-Brazil final. Um, I still stick with that, especially looking at the way the bracket is set up. I think Spain has an easier uh, way of getting there. Brazil's an interesting one. They haven't hit their that next gear yet. I think they will, and if Neymar can bring some leadership and some quality and stop worrying about his hair, so to speak. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I also say that kind of seriously. Then I see Brazil, Spain in the final. But don't be shocked if the French national team has something to say about it. All right. I will write that down. Um, Okay, so now that we've talked about the World Cup and soccer on a global level, I want to bring it here locally. Uh, For those that don't know, you, like me, are from St. Louis. Um, Oh, yeah. And, you know, we had an an issue here where we were trying to get the MLS to come, and it seemed like everything was lining up that way. But, unfortunately, the vote vote didn't pass, and the situation unraveled. And for people that don't know, St. Louis is a huge soccer hotbed. I mean, it would have been a perfect market for an MLS franchise. So I want to know from you, who's really plugged into all this stuff, do you think that that ship has sailed, and have we kind of slashed our own tires here? Uh, I think I think the backs are against the wall. There's air out of the tires, whatever analogy you want to use. I think St. Louis is in real danger of being forgotten for the immediate future of the next 5, 10, 15 years. I just... It's shocking for me to say that, um, multiple reasons why, but the reality is that uh, the city of St. Louis is behind in many ways. And I'm not just saying that because of soccer, but right. the way it would open my eyes, Michelle, being from there, my family still lives there, uh, seeing how um, the city and the government and everything, how it works, county versus city and all of it, it's sad. It's disappointing. And um, it's remarkable to me that I will go to Cincinnati of Ohio and call a United States World Cup qualifier before I end up in St. Louis in a soccer-specific stadium calling a game. I would have never thought I'd say that, but unfortunately, it looks like I'm going to be. That frustrates me more than I can tell you because as someone that really loves St. Louis and understands the potential here and how great it could be, I just, I mean, Bernie and I had this conversation on our show on 101 ESPN this week about free agents, whether it's with the Blues or the Cardinals, and how we're not even getting meetings here in Nobody St. Louis. wants to go there, Michelle. Nobody. And I was trying Nobody. to explain this to listeners, and, and having you in this dialogue is great because you also have a, a national view of things. I was trying to say to people, when I was at 
ESPN and in Bristol. I would have baseball people come up to me and be like, man, I hope the Cardinals don't make the postseason again because I don't want to spend time in St. Louis. And I would get so defensive about it and be like, why? And then I would think, okay, so what? They're going to come downtown, which is a really dilapidated area. There's so much crime down here. They're going to probably stay at Hilton at the ballpark, maybe go to a place around here for dinner, and they're never going to leave that like six by six block radius. So all the great things in the city, the people who are coming here don't see. And it's just it's a terrible national view of the city. And then when we have things like this, the MLS franchise, where we could grow in different ways, we're just fighting with one another and getting in our own way. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I can say it any better than that. I don't think St. Louisans realize when you talk to athletes, which I do more often than not, I'm not just soccer athletes, but obviously just baseball because of the concussion background, football, hockey, and in, and even basketball, St. Louis isn't even on the map. But I understand that now with the NFL team not there, no NBA team, but still, you still have St. Louis athletes. I mean, I'm in Boston, right? Jason Tatum's a heck of an athlete coming out of St. Louis. It's remarkable. When, you, when we all talk about St. Louis, it's really behind. And put it this way for everyone listening. When was the last time in our history in St. Louis that we, we were chasing Kansas City, Missouri? Kansas City, Missouri is light years ahead of St. Louis. Light years in so many ways. And yet St. Louis still wants to ride on the history of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I've got news to people. It's not. It, you, you, the city is stuck. You're stuck. And until someone wakes up and actually does something about it, then quite honestly, it's just going to be what it is, and that is a dead city. It is remarkable to me what St. Louis has turned into with what the capability of that downtown, but the segregation in the city is disturbing and sad. And then even double down on that, the city versus the county, it's pathetic. I it mean, really is pathetic. <laughs> and, but, but, Michelle, what people don't understand And people don't want to hear it, especially those that live in St. Louis. What happened in Ferguson, it left a real black eye on the city. It left a... I answer more questions about Ferguson, Missouri, and the segregation and all of that stuff than I answer about anything in our country. I'm with you. And it's probably because I'm from there, but... But that's the thing. Like you would say to people in the Northeast or the South or wherever, I'm from St. Louis. And how many times are people's first response, oh, Ferguson? Like that's what they associate it with. Yes. It, it, it's not even close. And when you think of the Blues and the Cardinals and those historic franchises and what they are, and they can't get free agents to have a conversation, if that doesn't tell anyone listening to this, quite honestly, any city official – then you, you, you've got your, your, you're out of your coconut. Your head's under a rock. Because I, it's sad. It's sad. I, it, I get fired up about it, Michelle, because the city has more potential, I think, than any Midwest city for being the place. And yet I, I don't think anyone really wants to do it. I'm with you. We need to just, I'm going to cut that audio clip and just play it on loop outside government buildings so that people can just, you know, like you said with, with UX, US soccer, it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing here, guys? It's so frustrating because the answer seems pretty simple. You know, we just have to all come together and we can make it better, but it just doesn't seem like that's 
You know, no, it doesn't seem like it's even a priority, which is even more disturbing. I know. Geez. Well, you and I just need to get together, brainstorm, and present it to people. <laughs> It'll work we out. We should. Um, we should do it over a couple drinks, and then that podcast will get very interesting, though. <laughs> I'm with you. And you know what? I recently learned that you can swear on podcasts, so we'll have you know. A no lot- way. Yes, I know. I didn't oh know Oh, my this. God. I've had a couple swear words right there. <laughs> Well, you could have dropped him. There you go. I know. I had uh, Sean Evans, who's the host of Hot Ones. It's, you know, that great internet show where people, where they ask tough questions over hot wings. He dropped a couple swear words. And I said to my editor here, like, oh, sorry, here's the times of that. He's like, oh, podcasts are free. You can go ahead and drop swear words. So that's what we'll do. We'll have some cocktails and we'll have, you know, small talk after dark where we can swear the whole time. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, I wish we would have. I wish we would have known that before we start talking. I know, I know. Okay, well, now that I'm effectively super bummed out about St. Louis, let's lighten this up a little bit before I let you go. So, one of my favorite components of soccer, and what's become kind of a really important part of soccer, is the fashion. Players' self-expression, their individual style. Oh, okay. This is a good segment. Yes, has been awesome. You know, and a lot of times their style can make them relevant. Like it's really different because I would say it's it's. It's common. the only reason why you're talking to me, but <laughs> I know. Well, we're going to talk about your style here in a second. But you know, you talk about stylish leagues, and immediately you think the NBA, right? Because so many players take fashion risks, but it's really just them walking in and out of the post-game pressers that you get to see their style. But soccer has this really unique way of being trendsetters in hairstyles and styles kind of on the field. So when did that start? I mean, just as you kind of observe this development, was this the David Beckham effect or was it in play before then? Are you talking soccer, just soccer in general? Just soccer in general, yeah. I would say social media has a huge part of all the sports, but mainly soccer. Now, the one thing soccer has, I think, over anyone is, is your uniform suits you. So you, you become your brand every single time, right? You can see your face. You can uh-huh. see your body shape. You can see so much. It's you. It's just the shirt, shorts, and socks. As a, you know, it's similar to what pretty much basketball is. But the hair, I think Beckham had a massive part of it, but not really. When you think about it, times before him, hairstyles, uh, the European taste on uh, on style on the European player, uh, Brazilians have always brought some flair. I think flair has always been there, but I think social media has taken this to a whole new level. I've, I've never seen, and this is in general though, Michelle, you and you would probably agree, a lot of tattoo sleeves. You yes. know, that's a that's a style that. You know, if you would have said that 10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to have that more often than not. You do now. Oh, yeah. Every, I feel like that's part of the look. It's the hair. It's the, the tats. It's all part of the vibe. Yeah, I just think if I had that amount, those tattoos, and then when I turn 45, 55, <laughs> you know, and that, you know, bikini-clad girl on a bicycle that I have, now all that turns into not really something you want to look at. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to do tattoos. That's true. Well, you know, part of your brand is your style. I feel like anytime I turn on ESPN, you are so put together. You're in a three-piece suit. You're in a sweater combo. So how much time do you put into curating your look? Uh, The key for me is getting dressed in the dark. If I get dressed (laughs) in the dark, something good comes out of it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, A big part of it is my mom and her two sisters had a huge part of my upbringing. So I always, even when I was younger, was trying to do stuff that was fun, different, but always had a good eye for, you know, what fits and what doesn't. So I'll I'll give my credit to my mom and her two sisters. But I... I don't plan it. That's what's interesting. So I do a lot of it right of the day of the show. So I'll never put out an outfit the day before or anything like that. Now, if I travel, obviously, 
you're traveling with stuff, but it's nothing like what I wore right now after speaking with you. I just did Sports Center and whatnot. I looked, woke up this morning, was like, yeah, I'll go with that. So you you don't have a personal shopper like this is all you. No, this is all. That's one thing that people don't believe me on. It's all one hundred percent me. Wow, I'm so impressed. Yeah, that's a little. That's un. I think unusual, but yeah, it's all me. <laughs> so with style being so important in soccer, do you feel pressure because you're kind of like not if not the one of the big faces of of soccer here in America? You're on well, TV I- all the time. Do you feel pressure to look cool? That's actually a great question, Michelle, because I do think if you look the part, people will take it a little bit more serious. You know, I I think if at times, depending on what show, so to speak, and what's the talking points, you can dress it down. But I think if if you've dressed well enough, I think the viewer takes you a little bit more serious. Now, I also think you've got to stay up with the time. So, for instance, what I'm wearing today, if I'm doing this 10 years down the road, I'm not going to be wearing it again, right? So I think that's a big part of it. But I actually don't think people fully understand that. But when you turn on TV and you see me, and I'm put together, so to speak, until I open my mouth, obviously, and then you turn the channel. But you know what I mean? If if I look the part, then you're like, you know what? I'm going to listen to what he has to say. You know, that's great advice in any walk of life, Taylor. That's true. Maybe I should put pants on next time I do a podcast. (laughs) There you go. Um, Okay, well. At the end of this podcast, what we do, well, we didn't mean to do this, but it's just kind of become this way. We, we've been doing like a little game at the end. So to tie it all together, I want to name some of the big names in soccer, and then I want you to judge or rate their look, okay? Perfect. All right. First up, obviously. Uh, oh, wait, well, hold on. What's the brand? What, what's the judging? Like, what are we doing? One through five, one through ten? Why don't we do like, Red card, yellow card, goal. Goal being the best, red card being terrible, obviously. Perfect. Okay, off the top of our head here. All right, so obviously we have to start this out with, you know, the face of soccer or the beautiful face of soccer, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, man, it's a goal 100%, not only because he scores a million of them in his career, but I I just think when I look at a guy that's put that much time um, into his look, including shaving the legs, baby oil on the (laughs) legs, uh, his hair, his fitness, he's a goal for me. The thing about Ronaldo to me that I can never quite pinpoint is he always looks just a bit dewy. Yeah, I mean, that that's part of that. You mean like the hair and kind of like the oil on the face? Yeah, or what do you mean I, by dewy? I Describe mean, I mean, dewy. I mean that in a very positive way. His skin always just kind of looks like grass. Yeah, that I think has... he looks like a Ken Barbie doll because <laughs> his skin looks fake. Is His skin, like look at him and Tom Brady. There's something weird going on there. What do you think? It's a Botox effect? I think it's just the way they take care of their bodies and diet that it's so unusual and so unique that I think I don't think they do Botox. Brady may. There's, I, you know, and then I say that again. They're both. I don't know. They probably both do. They do look very plasticky. <laughs> they do. But there's something about Ronaldo where every time I see him, and he, it could be, you know, in a commercial. It could be in the middle of the game where his his skin is just always perfect with like a sheen of of shimmer on it or something. I don't know what he does, but whatever it is, I would buy it by the gallon if I could. Yeah, he's he's got it going on. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> okay, moving on. What about Neymar? Oh, see, for me, it's a it's a red card, and prob- it's just too much. You know, the first game of the World Cup this year, his hair looked like ramen noodles, and there was a rumor floating around that ramen noodles had paid him X millions of dollars to do the hair because he shaved the day before the game, Michelle. He had nothing. The day after, he had nothing. And yet that game, the opening game of the World Cup, 
he had he had extensions in. Like, so at what point are you more worried about that than the game? Like, at least Ronaldo's look, as crazy as people think he is in anal, he's, all he cares about is winning and scoring goals. True. Neymar, to me, I, I wonder about the style, because Neymar is one of the, if not the most talented player in the world, and yet at times I, still, I, I think he's worried about whether or not his bangs are in front of his eyes. <laughs> but when you look at the bangs, do you think that they're a goal or a red card? I look. I, it's a red card for me. One hundred percent. It's a red card. I love it. All right. Next one. Sergio Ramos. Ooh, there's, there's. He's the guy that I wish I could pull off, but I can't. So I'll give him a goal. He drives me nuts as a player. So we're just strictly going on style. Um, tattoos, shave head, clean cut. Uh, looks like a badass, even though he may be real soft spoken. <laughs> He's just got that. For me, it's a goal. I feel like his his deep comb over with you know the deep part is kind mm-hmm. of what I see all my guy friends that love soccer trying to emulate. Yeah, it's the deep part is a weird one for me because it's like you shave the deep part. Congratulations, it's it's gone in five days. That's true. A lot of maintenance there. Yeah, it's. I know. I just kind of do it naturally. It's weird. The deep part's not a fan. I'm not a fan. Okay, good to know. No, but I like his look, though. All right, what about Gareth Bale? Uh, simple, straight to the point. I didn't like the ponytail. I hated the man bun. Um, so I'll give it a yellow card, but everything else is perfect. Plus, he's a huge golfer. He's a massive golfing fan, so that works in my favor. So the man bun gets a yellow card, huh? Yeah, I can't. Stop it. Stop it with the man bun. <laughs> Yeah. And girls love it. Women love it. I can't stand it. So you remember Steve Cerruti, who yep. worked on the Rosillo show? So he joins our podcast all the time. He had a man bun forever, and we did like an homage to it because he cut it. He now has more of, of the um, the Ramos like comb-over situation. He's always changing up his look. But when he cut his man bun, women who watched the Rosillo show texted us in weeping. They were so... Even dudes were like, I cannot believe Sarudi got rid of the man bun. People were really upset. It's, it's a very popular look. It is. I think, I think so many people respect the hard work going into making that happen. That's why when you cut it off, like there's a player in Major League Soccer by the name of Kyle Beckerman. He had dreads forever, and he cut them off this year. And I hear so many of my ex-teammates and even teammates of his going, can you believe it? I think there's a respect level there that you put so much into that. But come on, really? The man bun? That's what it takes? Like if, Michelle, in all seriousness, if that's what it takes, then every male should have a man bun right now. But not every male can grow a man bun, Taylor. That's a valid point. <laughs> that's why you're so much smarter than I am. Okay. Well, last one, our boys Laton. Oh, man. It just, it, all in, right? Style, personality, and everything. God, he's a goal, isn't he? So 100%. <laughs> did you, I mean, I'm sure you have, but I have to ask, did you see his spread in ESPN's body issue? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, they lost my number for some reason, so uh, Zlatan took my place. <laughs> <clears throat> but besides the point, I did. I'm a big fan, big fan. I mean, tats everywhere, that's what we like to call committed to a look. Yeah, 100%. I, it, it's either go big or go home, and obviously Zlatan never goes home, so... <laughs> Um, but just to follow up there, if ESPN reaches out, you would post for the body issue. Uh, there's my services are available. Okay. I mean, I, I haven't worked out in 14 years, but that's perfect. I'm actually kind of surprised that ESPN hasn't done, you know, the body issue volume two, where they do have personalities that pose. That's true. Maybe some of, maybe, maybe there's not enough to fill a magazine. 
I wonder who would be on that list. I'm going to marinate on that. Obviously, we would have you in there, but I wonder who else. Oh, else I think that'd be a great Twitter poll. We should do that. Who, who, which ESPN personality would you want to see in the body issue? Yes, that is an unbelievable Twitter poll. We should do that when we promote this podcast. Okay, sounds good. Actually, we'll have you do it. What's your Twitter handle? Everyone should go ahead and follow you anyway. At Taylor Twelman, right? At Taylor Twelman or at God, one or the other. <laughs> God. Well, Taylor, <laughs> you're the absolute best. This was so fun. Thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly hectic schedule to join us. We really appreciate it. Oh, we miss you so much here in Bristol, Michelle. But happy to see your success. Thanks, Taylor. And we miss you here in St. Louis. We need more of your honesty pumping yes, through these walls. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Taylor Twelman, to Tommy Freeze Pops. It was great to chat with both of those guys during this episode of Small Talk. And again, if you made it this far, just a reminder, if you haven't done it already, please head to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, leave a little fun review about Small Talk. Your support is always appreciated. And next week, we will be reconvening with the Post Show Pod Squad. I know we'll have some ridiculous topics to get into, but until then, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.